us of how great you are, of how great your love for us is, of how great and immense your majesty is, of how great your plan of redemption really is. And Father, we pray that you would draw us into that story in ways uh, in which we've never been drawn into it before, that we'd experience uh, the death and the resurrection of Christ uh, in ways that give us newness of life uh, and lead to transformation in all of our lives and that give great glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today is, uh, as we know, Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday, the start of this Holy Week, is a, uh, a day when it's the beginning of something huge. Uh, I think the people at the time understood that something significant was going on, uh, but we, with the benefit of hindsight, can see that this was the beginning of something, a period of seven days that would change the world forever and that still today change lives forever. We see signs of something quite significant going on here when we look and we think about the events in the passage that Liz read for us a few moments ago. There's the size of the crowd for a start. Some scholars reckon that there were about two million people in and around Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, and that was because it was the Passover at that time. There's the fact that this was the only time in his ministry that Jesus actually planned and promoted a great public demonstration on this scale and size. Up until now, for fear of his life, he'd cautioned people not to go around telling people who he was, and he deliberately avoided such public events on this scale. And there's the fact that he is proclaiming here in the most unmistakable, bold, clear way possible that he is indeed the Messiah, the one that they have been waiting for and the one sent from God. And yet he arrives at the beginning of this week of all weeks on a lowly donkey. There's humility in that, uh, of course. It's a different kingship uh, to the type of kingship that people would have expected at the time. It's the ushering in of a completely countercultural uh, era and reign. But it's a provocative act in some ways as well. Because the lowly donkey was traditionally the royal animal of Jewish monarchs. So Jesus is unmistakably proclaiming himself here as king. And not just any old king but Israel's long-awaited king, the one prophesied about right back in the Old Testament by Zechariah. And Zechariah said this. He said, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so we have the fulfillment of prophecy beginning to work out here uh, on this Palm Sunday. And the people who were gathered on Jerusalem that day would have understood these allusions to the Old Testament. And that is one of the reasons why they respond with such enthusiasm uh, and such faith that day, crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in highest heaven. 
They understand that this is a day like no other, that this is the beginning of an event like no other, a day that marks this huge turning point in the lives of the people gathered there in Jerusalem. And that's why there's this sense of anticipation, this sense of excitement that you even get through uh, the scripture readings of it uh, today. But in Matthew's account of all of this that Liz read for us, when he quotes from Zechariah and the prophecy of Zechariah, he deliberately leaves out one little bit of that prophecy from the Old Testament. If you compare what Matthew says to the original prophecy of Zechariah in the Old Testament, there's one word that's missing from that, and I think it's quite important. Matthew says, these events took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, and here's the quote, say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. But what Matthew leaves out is the first line of Zechariah's prophecy, which says, rejoice greatly. And that is important here because Matthew knew that as Jesus approached the city of Jerusalem that day, that yes, something massive was going on, but Jesus also wept as he approached the city that day because he was beginning to understand and to contemplate the pain that he would have to go through for God's great redemption plan to work out. Jesus knew what lay before him that week. And so, yes, this week begins with all of these people proclaiming Jesus as king. But five days later, some of them would shout, crucify him. There's a lovely old hymn that sums all of this up, and sometimes we hear it uh, at this time of the year, and it's called My Song is Love uh, Unknown, and there's uh, contemporary versions of it uh, that we made in the last few years as well. And I think that's because it just speaks so powerfully uh, into this particular moment. And there's a verse in it that goes like this. Sometimes they crowd his way, and his sweet praises sing, resounding all the day, hosannas to their king. Then crucify is all their breath, and for his death they thirst and cry. So today, Jesus appears to be setting the pace. He's leading this great triumphal procession. But in just a few days' time, by the time we get to Thursday, and especially into the small hours of Good Friday, Jesus will be hustled along by others. He will be frog-marched into court for the sham court appearance. He will be pushed out on his journey to Calvary. None of this would have taken him by surprise, of course. Today, we have the great privilege of knowing how the story ends. And in seven short days, we will gather back in this place and we will celebrate Jesus' victory over all evil and even over death itself. But let's not rush to get there. Let's remember the magnitude of that victory. And let's spend these next seven days thinking about what it means for each of us. Now, today, 
and for all the days of our lives. I don't think we can ever quite understand how big a deal Easter Sunday is, how huge the day of resurrection really is for every single day of our lives and how we live our lives unless we take the time and the discipleship and the discipline to enter into these days of Holy Week and these events of Holy Week that we remember this week. I want to encourage you this week to enter into these days ahead. I want to encourage you to, to go to the evening services. If you can't do that, to, to find an app that maybe has a, a special weekly series on it, just to, to read through the scriptures this week of what happened in that particular Holy Week, to spend time really entering into it, to enter into what Christ experienced, the injustice, the persecution, the insults, the mockery, the humiliation, the agony, the thorns, the spear, the nails. And I promise you that if you do, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will experience next Sunday the day of resurrection in a whole new way that gives completely new meaning to your life. At the beginning of this Holy Week, I think it's important that we take a few moments just to think about how it all started. But to do that, we're not going to look at some palms thrown down in the streets of Jerusalem. We need to go right back to the very beginning. We need to go right back to Genesis 1, when God created the heavens and the earth. And we are told there that God saw everything that he created and it was very good. It was the perfect creation. By the seventh day, God finished all of his work. He rested from his work. He blessed the seventh day. He made it holy. He rested from everything that he had done. It was very good. Then he created the first human beings. And he gave them specific instructions in how they should live in this perfect world. But in no time at all, they were doing their own thing. They were disobeying. They were departing from all that is good. And they were turning instead to evil. And it has been the same, we must recognize in humility, for every single generation since. And we have spent as a church family several months reading about God's judgments on what the Bible calls sin. And how sin, this force that wreaks havoc in our lives, and doesn't only wreak havoc and destruction in our own lives, but actually contagiously spreads and wreaks havoc in the life of those around us. And how ultimately sin brings us to death. It's something that traps us. It's like it's like thorns or thistles that grow around our very soul and choke the life out of us. It robs us of life. And the really crucial thing we've got to understand about it is that we cannot overcome it in our own strength. 
That is why the people of Jerusalem that day cry out, Hosanna. What does Hosanna mean? It means save us. And they cry it out to the Messiah, to the Savior. It is addressed to Jesus because they recognize that he is the only one who can save us from our sin. Why? Because God's love is greater than our sin. Because God's love is so great that he could not bear, and he cannot today bear, to see human beings like us, like those whom we love in our lives, like those in our communities, trapped in these cycles of sin that are leading them down a one-way street to death. In Psalm 102, we we read this. The Lord looked down from his sanctuary on high. From heaven he viewed the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners and to release those condemned to death. That is what this week is about. It's about releasing all of us who are condemned to death. It's about providing a way to ensure that our lives do not have to end in that way, but that instead we have an opportunity to experience the fullness of life that we were always intended and created to have. And how does God go about all of that? He goes about all of that by sending Jesus by sending Jesus to humble himself, to lower himself, to surrender himself to the most degrading and agonizing death ever invented by human cruelty, crucifixion, to take the price for us and to overcome the excruciating reality of death, not for his sake, but for ours. It's the greatest act of substitution that the world has or ever will know. And just as Jesus' death was not the end for him, so it will not be the end for all of us who believe in him. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Everyone who believes in me will live, even though they die. It's no coincidence that just before this reading on Palm Sunday and these events leading up to Holy Week, that Jesus performed one of his most miraculous, uh, his most famous miracles. And that is the miracle where he raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. The message of that miracle is not that God can somehow reverse human mortality. Lazarus did die. The message of that story is much bigger than that. It is not about the reversal of death. It's about telling us, showing us, pointing to us as a sign of what Holy Week would be all about, that in Christ, death will not be the end. Death will have no dominion in the end because in Christ there is resurrection and there is life after death. So we cannot overcome death by going back, by looking back. We can only overcome death by going through. 
sustained by God's love, going through death into something much bigger, into the kingdom of God, into the arms of Jesus for all eternity, where there will be no more suffering and no more pain and no more sin and no more sickness and no more death. That is why when Christ called Lazarus by name out of the tomb just before these weeks of holy, uh, these days of Holy Week, it was a foreshadowing of how this week of all weeks was going to change human history and was going to change each of our lives forever. And just as Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb that day, so too in Holy Week, Jesus calls each of us out of the paths that lead to death. He says, come out of darkness. Come out of all that you thought had crushed and bound you because that is not how your story is destined to end. Come out of your own sense of failure because failure is not a feeling that you should be carrying around with you in life. Come out of a sense that you aren't good enough. Come out of grief come out of guilt, come out of this trap that makes you think that you will never be free again, come out of this great lie that you aren't worthy enough to have a wonderful life of freedom ahead of you, come out of these paths that lead to death and step into eternal life. God wants you to go free. That is the very essence of his love shown to us this week. That is what this week is all about. Christ calls us this week to journey with him into a new reality, into the resurrection and the life that he alone can bring. That is the meaning of the cross. Not that there is no cross, there is, but that through the cross, and through the way of the cross, God opens wide his arms in a loving embrace that extends to each and every one of us. It's a love that is strong enough to overcome anything that we will go through in this life. Humiliation, vulnerability, anguish, loss, lowliness. It is a love that will carry us through all of that and into eternity. We simply have to choose whether we are willing to meet that embrace. He will not force us. Today shows us his humility, his gentleness. He's not a king like other kings. He does not abuse his power. He lovingly invites us. He yearns for us. And such is his love for us, he weeps for us. So he invites us to go with him this week in faith and in love, united with him in his sufferings, journeying with him to the cross, but knowing that the cross is not the ultimate destination. Followers of Christ do not, will not avoid 
or bypass the pain of life and death. Because that is not what the cross is all about. What it is about is God saying to us that through faith in Christ that he will take us beyond pain and beyond death. He will take us there carried by his love, a love that is stronger than death itself. This is the love of God that allowed Job, who is afflicted by all sorts of suffering, even still to stand and say, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I will see him with my own eyes. The Bible is clear that one day, Every single one of us, not just in this room, but in the world, believer or non-believer, every single one of us will see Jesus. And it is clear that every single knee on that day will bow before him. Some will bow in regret. Some will bow in fear. God's will for us is that we will bow in love and in awe that the new heaven and the new earth are about to begin. But how we bow that day will be determined by how we respond to the events of this most important week in history. So let us declare Christ has died, but Christ is risen and Christ will come again. And when he comes again, it will not this time be on a donkey. It will be on another animal. And the vision was given to John and it is recorded in Revelation. And John tells us about that day and he says this. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse, purity, whose rider is called Faithful and True. On his head are many crowns. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. That is our blood that he took upon himself. And his name is the word of God. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Until then, until that day, Christ invites us to step into the reality of what the resurrection means for each of us. He invites us this week to journey with him, not to a destination of pain and suffering, but through all of that to a destination marked life in all of its fullness. So let us be those who step this week into resurrection lives. Let us be those who, in faith, know that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor any worries we might have about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell themselves, will ever be able to separate us from the immense love of God revealed to us in this holy week 
through Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us keep that in mind. Let us keep that heavenly perspective in mind. And let us be those who, no matter what comes our way in this life, because of the love and the sacrifice and the mercy of God, declare all the days of our lives, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Let's pray together. Father God, we pray, Lord, that you would do a new thing in us this week. Lord, we just want to ask that through your word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, through this community of believers of which we are a part, Lord, that you would stir us up to a newness of faith and a newness of life in these days ahead where we would understand the power of these events of Holy Week in a new way. And Lord, we pray that even for those of us who've been believers for many, many years, Lord, that you would do this new thing in us this week and you would bring us to a newness of life because we are just reduced down to our knees in understanding just what you have done for us and how great and how wide and how deep is your love for us. Flood us with a sense of your love for us this week, Lord, we pray. And Father God, we pray also that in this week of all weeks, for those who are on that path that is not leading to a good place, Lord, we know that your love for them is such that you would die for them. And Father, again, we just pray that in the name of Jesus, that name of all names, the King of Kings, and by the power of the Spirit, that you would reach into their lives this week. Lord, that they would see and they would understand the immensity of your love for them and that they would take a step onto that road that leads to life and that leads to life in all of its fullness. So Father, we just pray that you would do a new thing this week, that you would transform lives this week and all for your sake and for your glory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.